millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, in Washington this week, a Senate committee heard evidence from a whistleblower about the dark side of Facebook and its other platform, Instagram. Francis Haugen, a former product manager with Facebook, gave evidence of how the company suppressed research which showed that young women and girls who used Instagram were more prone to depression. That's just one of a number of revelations Miss Haugen made about the culture in Facebook, which is one she characterised as putting profit before safety. Just for the record, there are over 3 million Facebook accounts in this country and around 1.8 million Instagram accounts. So the platform literally reaches into a large majority of homes here. So what does all this say about social media use? And more to the point, if it is unsafe or even dangerous, what can be done about it? Joining me to discuss this is Media Studies lecturer Mary McGill, whose book The Visibility Trap, Sexism, Surveillance and Social Media is published by New Island Books. Mary, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Mick. It's been quite a week. It has indeed. Now, Mary, some listeners, I'm sure, are completely across exactly what Instagram is. But mm. for those who are not, what is Instagram and how does it differ, for example, from Facebook? That's a great question. And it's an important question um, because it goes right to the heart of a lot of what has been revealed this week and um, the, the importance of it. Essentially, Instagram is, or at least it was when it began, in the early 2010s, a photo sharing site. And around that point, there was many photo sharing sites. So it was one of a lot of new companies that were setting up to kind of exploit the, this new technology in smartphones that allowed us to photograph our lives and share our lives as never before. This was a big change. Instagram, though, showed a kind of an immediate appeal. It had these filters that you could put on to make your photos look very attractive, very nostalgic. And we see this motif now right across the culture in all kinds of um, of images. And Instagram really changed the way we approach our lives. It made people want to photograph things and, and put them on the Internet in a way that we have never seen before. And so it became very, very valuable very quickly. Facebook purchased it in 2012. They purchased it for one billion. It's now valued at 120 billion. So that was quite the investment for Facebook. It is the biggest repository of images we've ever known. You will find all kinds of material up there. There's some really beautiful stuff, really creative stuff, but there's also very troubling, both in the material that's up there, but also in the way that certain vulnerable sections of society use the site. People who, for example, will say are more prone to compare themselves to others can find on Instagram that they are in a veritable hall of mirrors where you are scrutinised, you are expected to farm your self-esteem out um, for the approval or not of others. And this can be, um, despite all the shininess and all the happiness and all the pretty pictures, this can actually be in reality a really, really dark place. And for those of us researching it, we know 
that what goes on on social media in general is far more complicated than people up until this point probably have been able to appreciate because don't forget when these technologies came along in the most part they were sold to us as progress a new way to create a community a new way to be engaged and stay in touch and while these things are true to an extent and we certainly saw that over the last year and a half there are increasingly now significant downsides that are becoming much much harder to ignore they affect the individual society and our democracy and this week and over the last couple of weeks in relation to Instagram, we've really seen, um, in particular, we're saying in relation to young women, the dark side of this site and what it can do. Okay, and so just to get this totally correct, I have to admit now, I'm, <laughs> I'm not really, I, I have seen Instagram a few times. My yeah. social media used to be relatively primitive compared to those, bit of Facebook, a lot of Twitter. But, but Instagram itself, as you say, in its barest form, it's a photo sharing site, but you can top up the photos, you can Photoshop them, you can yes. make yourself look an awful lot better on it. And tell me also about influencers and what role influencers have on Instagram. Well, influ I mean, the key, the key um, thing with influencer is, is, is the title. It's the influence that they have. And these are generally people who have um, managed to build up a significant following. And by significant, that can mean anything from kind of niche followings of a couple of thousand people right up to those at the very top of the food chain, people like the Kardashians. Um, I mean, look, there's plenty to criticize about the Kardashians, but from, we'll say, an economic model, a business model, they were one of the first people in the public eye to spot the economic potential of Instagram. And what I mean by that is they effectively, they already had their 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 kind of um, media empire in the reality TV world. And there's a huge overlap between reality TV and, and, and Instagram. But they spotted the way that they could parlay that into these new platforms. And they literally went to the likes of Instagram and Snapchat and they began to sell, sell their lifestyle um, and offer advice to women on how to live in this very, very new world where there's a spotlight on you 24-7 if you're very engaged in social media. And so the very top of the food chain with influencers are people like the Kardashian. And they're, they're, they're a new type, a new type of celebrity for the 21st century. Much further down the, the food chain then are people who want to be influencers. Um, and that's a much tougher endeavour in that it is essentially a kind of new form of self-employment that's very unregulated um, that expects people, you know, usually to work 24-7. You are your own everything is how one young woman who's an influencer described it to me. There's a heavy emphasis on presenting yourself as, you know, um, often very beautiful, very in control of your life and um, having this lifestyle that you share every aspect of that's very carefully crafted. Um, there's this impression that influencers just throw up material onto the likes of Instagram. That's just not true. This material is really worked out, carefully curated. It's all about designing a brand, designing a persona. And so where once the work of the celebrity will say um, had a clear distinction between the celebrity as image or as product and the public and the celebrity had the benefit, we'll say, of, of a management team and so on. And that celebrity version of celebrity still exists today we have a whole stream of influencers who are essentially commodifying themselves and their own lives. And this is, is, is raising all kinds of complexities, both for the individuals concerned, because there's all kinds of psychological and labour issues that are arise, arise with that, but also for the very many young women and men who, 
you know, buy into that idea of influence and want to embody it and are on play are in spaces like Instagram going, you know, effectively, how do I do this? Am I doing it right? How do I copy these people? So it is um it's it's a brave new world in a lot of respects. And it's and, and there's still so much that we don't know about it, you know. I think we, we rush to generalizations um and those can be really, really unhelpful because What's happening here is, and I, and I keep emphasizing it, like we are literally living through the biggest re a revolution in our communication systems and ways of existing with technology since Gutenberg cranked up his press in the 15th century. So there's so much going on in these spaces. And the influencers, they make their money through attracting advertising. Yes, and exactly. Tell me, and then Mary, age profile, as I understand it, you'd be talking about a lower age profile than, for example, your average Facebook user. Sometimes, sometimes, but again, um, yes, I mean, I know in my, um, when I was doing my um, doctoral research, when I was talking to young women, that these young women would be aged 18 and over, but I'd be talking to them about using Instagram and, you know, they talked about how it impacted them when they were younger, but all of them would express concern about women young or girls younger than them again that they knew who were using these sites and, and you know, making, asking for presents, Christmas presents and so on, like a very, very expensive makeup, the likes of which, you know, um, I think even 20 years ago, those of us of that age wouldn't even have heard of. But, the, but this influence, this desire to embody this kind of lifestyle um, has really, yes, it's trickled right down through the different age groups. And again, it's um, and, and 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 this is, I suppose, something to hammer home as well. I mean, it's become a very it's social media. It's become where these young women hang out and spend their time and meet their friends and discuss their lives and share their, you know, their experiences with each other. It's like going down the town, you know, at, at the weekend back in the 90s or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's what I would remember meeting your friends. This is now all these kinds of social activities are now occurring in these very commercialized spaces. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned a few times about young women, and that is very much where the emphasis is on. But I suppose it should be pointed out that you have as many young men. And Roy Keane, for instance, recently, <laughs> in the last few months, I think it was, he, he started up an Instagram site. I've seen a few posts he put up from it. So <laughs> it's not exclusively women, but as you say, the nature of fashion, the nature of all that, a lot of it, particularly perhaps the darker side, might have a bigger influence on young women in that respect. Yeah. I mean, there's an element here of, of quite simply capitalism, right? If you look at the more traditional... More than an element. Yeah, more than an element indeed. But if you look at the traditional, um, you know, beauty and fitness and all these industries, once they've pretty much saturated the, the female end of things, they will go after the male end of things. So this is, you know, this is no different. Um, and there is certainly a male influencer um, industry. And indeed, some of the research that, that um, has been leaked from Facebook over the last couple of weeks about Instagram um, indicates that it, that it can be harmful for young men as well, as well in a similar way, but it doesn't seem to be to the same degree. And it is, it is that distinction when it comes to, and Instagram's a very kind of, uh, a very kind of female place as well. You know, women are um, the biggest users of Instagram. Mm. So yeah, there's, there's all those tensions going on. And then the next thing, the algorithm. Now, again, just some ah. people may, may be across it or may not. The algorithm, for example, if we were to just say in terms of a news feed, the algorithm, if I put in, um, in my Facebook use, if I start looking up Van Morrison, for instance, mm. a, a type of music, 
Therefore, I get bombarded with anything related to that. The computer sees my interest and amplifies that and feeds me with the stuff on a political level. We have Mm. seen in the US uh, during Donald Trump's thing, during his election and subsequently, for example, if if people showed uh, a dislike for immigrants, suddenly their news feed is overwhelmed with negative stuff about immigrants and that affects their whole thinking on it. That's been a massive issue. In terms of the image world, in terms of Instagram, Mary, is there yeah. a similar thing at work there? Oh, yes. I mean, you cannot engage with the internet as it exists today. And by internet, very often we talk about the internet today, Mick, we're talking about social media because mm. that is where the vast majority of our, our engagement is. Algorithms are all. And what I mean by that is, and, and algorithms being a form of AI, so, so the rationale behind the kind of dynamics that you're describing is that algorithms are there to give us more of what we want and that creates a better consumer experience. So you, you're you putting this into Google or you're putting this into Facebook. So clearly you're, you want it, right? You're interested in it. And we are just serving up, giving you more of what you want. It's like when you go on Amazon and you buy a book and underneath they'll have recommendations for similar books. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's really, really annoying. You get into problems, though, and you touched on them there, obviously, in relation to the likes of um, radicalization and um, antisocial behavior in these spaces. When we we'll say on Instagram, let's say you're a young woman and you have um, insecurities around your body, which is not at all uncommon at that age. And perhaps you go and you look for something like diet and exercise tips, bearing in mind that influencers, um, there are many different types of influencers, but one of the most common kinds are these you know, wellness, fitness, health influencers. There are thousands of them on Instagram offering advice. So it's not unreasonable for you to go on there and look for this kind of information. But what the algorithm sees is what it thinks that you want or what it thinks that you need. So it's going to serve you up more and more and more of that material. It is not sophisticated or nuanced enough to understand or care that that material, even though you're looking for it, is actually potentially really, really harmful for you, you know, and that you you should be looking at something else or you possibly shouldn't be engaging at all. And so under the guise of making a better consumer experience, we've actually gotten into a situation where algorithms are, yes, giving you what you want, but potentially what you want has a potential to be really, really bad for you in a context where it's constantly hitting your eyeballs and being served up to you every time you log in. And let's not forget as well the amount of time that some people spend in these places and they're constantly being served up this soup of um, of images that, um, that you know, are there under the guise of being helpful, but in reality are not in, in any way helpful at all. And that's the point you make about the length of time. That's the other element to it, because the company wants you to spend as much time as possible engaged on their platform, because that in turn means that they can up their advertising rates for advertisers because they show they have you for that length of time. That's the other aspect of it. And the other thing that strikes me, Mary, is if you're bombarded with this stuff and you said, like, for instance, dieting products or or beauty products, if you're bombarded with it and it's unmoderated, it's just you and your Mm. screen, you can come to think that your reaction to it and all this is completely normalised. Yes, I think that is absolutely critical. These technologies are very powerful because they present us with a frictionless experience. They feel organic in our hands. They are presented to us as neutral, as benign. But, you know, we, we don't realise that what we're only seeing when we use them is the, is the very tip of the iceberg, not all the parts behind that are developing this waiting mechanism that is manipulating what you see, 
to keep you on there. And actually, I was reading a piece of research the other day that, that seems to suggest that, like, you know, the, the longer somebody spends in on these sites, the the more prone they are to to um, being unwell, either b- being unwell before they engage in these sites or being made unwell by spending too much time on them. And I think we really need, and I know everybody talks about media literacy and digital literacy, and I know I'm, I'm someone who works in that field, but I think we seriously need to, for, for at all ages and levels of society, to be developing a critical awareness around how algorithms work, around what's actually happening, what you think is like a natural representation that's just appearing on your screen, to know that this has been manipulated, it's been structured in such a way to keep you clicking. Like one of the things I say to people when I'm I'm talking to them about this stuff is about, you know, the way that social media design is modelled on the kind of psychological responses that you have when you gamble, right? Mm. You know, it's designed to keep you in a state of anticipation. It's designed to have you wanting that approval and that chance of a win. I mean, this is really, really powerful stuff. It's difficult enough for adults to moderate and and control their behaviour around it. For children, I mean, I think there are huge issues even with young adults and children about whether or not they should be on these places as they are designed today, right? So I think, I mean, I, I'm a big advocate for media literacy and digital media um, and challenging that idea that these products are just, they're just products, you know, they're just products, they're just things in your hands, you know, that, that you get to, to play with or read the news on. You know, there's so much more going on and working on you when you're in these spaces that you need to be aware of. Yeah, very much so. And just to divert slightly, just reading a book there, a fascinating mm. book about Inside Story of Facebook, An Ugly Truth by uh, Shira Frinkel and Cecilia Kang, who are New York Times reporters. And one chapter of it is on the role Facebook had in inciting people in Myanmar against yeah. the Rohingya. The Rohingya were a minority Muslim uh, sect in, in one section of the country. And mm. stuff was put up there on Facebook accounts uh, showing, for example, uh, purporting to show Muslims um, attacking and, and in some instances raping some uh, Buddhists, which is the majority of religion there. And it completely incited the people. Uh, Facebook were repeatedly warned by human mm. rights activists within the country that this was going on. They didn't interfere. And the, the obvious conclusion is they didn't interfere because all they wanted was engagement with their site. And if they were to interfere, particularly come into conflict with the military who ran the country, it might mean less accounts for them, less engagement, less advertising dollars. They let them at it. And what resulted was a massacre of Rohingya. Yes. And, and the... the flight from the country of up to a million of them that ended up in Bangladesh. Massive humanitarian problem. Now, quite obviously, Facebook is not responsible for people who went out and murdered, but Mm -hmm. they're certainly responsible through facilitating uh, what was dark propaganda on their uh, site that basically um, managed to, to turn huge numbers of people against the Rohingya in the country. And that's probably the most egregious example of it, but it's frightening stuff. It's terrifying stuff. And I think one of the most interesting and kind of sobering um, revelations this week in terms of um, Francis Hugan, the whistleblower who re- who released, um, you know, this, this internal data from Facebook on Instagram and, and, and other issues within the company, um, to first to the Wall Street Journal, and now she's come forward herself. One, one of the, the things that she said that really jumped out with me is in the way that they um, resource or don't particularly resource in certain contexts uh, the, dealing with misinformation. So the situation you're, you're describing there, and um, one of the 
the key issues was trying to find people who spoke the local languages. Yes. You know, you know that that's critical. But when you have, as Facebook do, almost all of your resources directed at misinformation through English, then you are, are not in a position to intervene in any meaningful way. And in the many parts of the world, often underdeveloped parts of the world, where Facebook is the Internet effectively, like, it, you know, for, you know, it is um, the only way that people experience the Internet because the Internet hasn't been um, developed in, in the way that we know it in, in the West um, and so what this for me um, often goes back to is Facebook's origin story and this sentiment of move fast and break things. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of that. Yeah. And and that works great um, when you are a fresh new startup and, and a new age of, of economic revolution and you're creating these products and it's also ex exciting. Move fast and break things is an absolute disaster when you scale, and by that I mean when you get big enough to the point where you can influence things like democracy, um, social movements, uh, how people feel about themselves and how they feel about other people. Facebook didn't create a lot of the problems that are, you know, um, kind of blowing up or finding expression on its site. But it, it is certainly, in some cases, adding massive fuel to the fire and then doing very little to, 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 to step in and take responsibility for um for, for the way that those dynamics are playing out you know for a long time we could say that all of this was new and we were just learning and you know but we're, we're beyond that now we can see there's data there's case studies we can see the impact that these technologies are having um and the time now is for action to know what's really happening subscribe to the irish examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe this weekend, as you said, over the previous number of weeks, Frances Hogan, this woman who worked in Facebook, she produced uh, what was described as a treasure trove of documents. And as I understand it, uh, Mary, a large part or the, the most revealing aspect to it was research that Facebook had done, but mm. suppressed about the negative impacts that um, Instagram had on particularly teenage girls. Will you tell us about them? Yeah, so that was... Um that was really important. And for those of us working in this field, you know, um, it wasn't necessarily massively surprising, Nick. But what made it important was, first of all, the data, the facts. We need we need the, like, the, the research that needs to be done into these areas is absolutely crucial. And the idea that Facebook is doing it and we didn't know about it um, and that these these insights exist um, as a researcher and, and, and as a journalist. I'm like, I want to see I want to see this stuff, you know, mm. um, and it does confirm um, a lot of, for example, the academic research that has been done. So, for example, when it comes to Instagram, there's been research that shows that, um, you know, if you already feel bad about yourself and you go onto these sites and you're engaged in activities that revolve around beauty, not photographing sunsets or your food, if you're doing that and you're not prone to self-comparison, you'll probably have a perfectly nice time. But if you're someone who's prone to self-comparison and engaging in Instagram to, to, to get a boost or to gain social approval, that that can have a very, very negative impact. That is reflected in the data that has been released from um, from from Facebook in relation to Instagram. It also shows that there are links or at least young people feel there are links between um, the young people they spoke to feel there are links between um, low mood and depression and using Instagram. Um, they also show that Instagram, because of its particular nature, because it is so visual, 
that the visual aspect, which is part of what makes it so compelling, also has a real downside because it compels people to compare themselves with these perfect images. If you think about Facebook, or you think about WhatsApp, there's not this heavy, heavy emphasis on the image in the same way. So it feels less pressurized. Instagram is very particularly its own beast. And we've always had comparison culture, you know, um, with teenage girls. But this is taking comparison culture to a whole other level where you are literally publicly ranked, publicly rated um, and you feel you know, it's very can be very hard for young women to opt out because it feels that Instagram is where everything is happening. And Facebook's data confirms what um what had already been out there in, in, in to a certain extent. But I think the fact that it is coming from the company itself, um, alarm bells were already ringing, but they're ringing a lot louder now. Yeah, there was even a, a couple of slides I see here. One um, that said uh, we make body image issues worse for one in yes. three teenage girls. Another states teens blame Instagram for increase in rates of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. This reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. It's pretty, it's pretty serious there. There's also an element here. Somebody else mentioned during the week, Mary, um, sort of resonates with back in the 60s and big tobacco. And when it was discovered mm. that they had done research that showed the damage that was being done with cigarettes and they had suppressed it. And when that was uh, actually, well, there's a movie made about it, but it showed really that was a point where it was finally acknowledged publicly because it had to be that tobacco was doing so much damage. Some people are suggesting that what emerged this week uh, in terms of big tech is, is of a similar um, standing. Yeah, and it's it's hard not to see the parallels, right? Because we have these, you know, hugely powerful companies, research that pro shows the product um, can, is not good, um, but can actually be very, very bad, at least for some people. Um, and this hasn't been shared into the public domain until it's forced into the public domain. So you can see where um, those parallels are coming from. And I think what has happened um the shift that's occurred with the release of, of these um, slides and the slides that you refer to from Facebook and the data that they contain is that we're beginning now to think of this as a public health issue, right? It's not merely, you know, kind of, oh, um, this kind of site that some people kind of overdo and it's all a bit, you know, ridiculous. And what about millennials and Gen Z and aren't they all this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's serious, and for some people, it is it's very, very serious when it comes to their mental and their physical health. And we're beginning, I think, now to have a conversation that's long overdue to see the the real harms that exist um, and the real questions that have to be answered about the role of these platforms and how we use them, how they are going to be going forward. I think it's always key to emphasize. I mean, look at the huge social shift. If we take tobacco as an example that happened around there, you know, you look back. I mean, I always find it hilarious when I see those ads from the 1950s with doctors smoking and been like, it's great. You should try it. You know, yeah. go for it. I, and there, I knew for a long time that was there was a similar sentiment around, you know, this. The, the, the social media age and all these great things it was going to accomplish. Um, and as so often is the case, we rushed into that without stopping to think about the downsides. What about the argument that's put out there sometimes, Mary, that, for example, that research, you go back 20, 30 years, and particularly women's magazine, that suggested, I think there was one figure I saw, that 70% of women felt worse about themselves after reading 
some of the magazines. I mean, that would suggest that the, the impact that this um, reflection of, of a so-called perfect life has always had that negative impact. And is it just a question of it moving online? It is a question of it moving online. And I think that's important to emphasize as well. You know, there's, there's a big kind of rush to be like social media causes this. Causation is very difficult to prove and it's complex. So the com- kind of comparison that you're describing there um, in relation to media, media images. Yes, there's almost been an element of that. But the shift online is significant. And why it is significant is that if you're reading a magazine, Mick, you can put that magazine down, you can walk away from it. It might make you feel good, but you're not in the magazine, right? You know, there's a certain amount yeah. of critical distance there. Now, we are in the magazine. Like if you, I, I remember one young woman describing to me using Instagram and she's like, you know, you take a picture of yourself and if you feel good and you put it up there and it arrives in your timeline at exactly the same moment that Kylie Jenner, one of the Kardashian clan, puts up a picture of herself and you can see your image next to the image of Kylie Jenner. And this, I mean, this is, this is a whole other, um, you know, collapse in the distinction between um, the media and consumers of the media. Now everybody is, quote unquote, the media. We've been broadcasted to and we are broadcasting ourselves. And this completely shifts our, our sense of um, the distance that used to exist in, in the way that we used to consume media. Also, the internet never closes. You cannot mm. create that sense of distance because you're always on there. And you're all, you, I mean, you can swim in a sea of Im- images on Instagram from the very moment you wake up in the morning until you close your eyes at night. The difference is, though, that you, your image is also in this mix as well. And that is a very, very different dynamic. Yeah, and I suppose the other comparison made there is the whole issue of cyberbullying, that there's always been bullying. You get it in the school playground, etc. It was always there. But at least previously, once you came home, you could shut the door in your house and whoever was bullying you was kept out. Now, if yeah. when there is bullying, it's still there on your phone, on your screen, whatever, in your bedroom, the whole thing. It's, it's, it's a similar dynamic there. Now, the question, Mary, from there is what can be done? Because let's face it, there are definitely some positive aspects to the whole concept of social media. For sure. And this is the thing is, I think this is what's really, really key. And, and this goes back to, to, to kind of using these platforms critically. I think in a, in a very basic way, we need to be encouraging young women and probably all of us, you know, um, existing with this stuff in our lives to be really, really conscious of how it makes you feel. You know, you may use it in ways that you really enjoy, but you may be using it in other ways that are actually taking toll and adding nothing to your life. Become aware of that and try and do something about it if you can. I realise it's very, very difficult for people who rely on social media, as so many people do now, for their career or some aspect of their career. I think we need to... um be very concerned about Facebook's plan to develop a a new version of Instagram aimed at children. I don't know why uh, a product like that is needed. I know I know why it's needed from an economic sense, because young people are leaving Facebook. So Instagram is really important to the company because it is a way of of keeping young people um, on the books, essentially, and and ensuring that it grows and growth is always fundamental um, when when it comes to when it comes to, you know, um, economic viability. One interesting thing that um, was proposed in the US during the week, um, thanks to the work of, of Francis Haugen, was the idea that there should be some legal onus on companies to release internal research that they do into the public domain. 
that we shouldn't be, it, it should be legally required. But it, if, you, if you had that, Mary, surely that would prompt them just to do less research. <laughs> well, you know, you're probably right. But there's, I mean, there's a part of me that wonders what else they have. You know, I, I yeah. find it fascinating. This is the biggest data. Can you imagine the size of that data set? We're talking Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. Billions of people. What do they know? We know that they, you know, a couple of years ago, um, there was uh, information released on the experiments that they're doing into social contagion, the way um, posting on, on Facebook can potentially alter your mood from positive to negative. They were doing that um, in relate with Cornell University and there was a huge scandal because they used, I think it was over 600,000 people's accounts, but they didn't let them know that they were part of this experiment. And the experiment did show or seemed to indicate that what you're exposed to online has some bearing on whether you end up being positive or negative when you post yourself. So, the, you know, the, we, we get we get insights every so often that, you know, you just I mean, it would be you're right. They probably would do less research, but I think it would be fascinating to know what they already have. And from a legislative point of view, like the US and, and mm. the EU, for instance, are there any major moves they can make to negate the negative aspect of things? I think design is fundamental. I know we can talk about um, moderation and, and the, the sheer size of these companies and the way that companies, you know, we have precedent throughout history, whether it comes to Hollywood cinema, oils, trains, whatever you call it, for breaking up companies when they just become too big and too powerful, right? So there's a conversation to be had around that. But the design as well, like in terms of how it, it may not cause necessarily um problems, but it's certainly designed to prey on on um, vulnerabilities and tensions um, and the angels of our lesser nature, you know, and that does, we could, they could be designed differently. You know, there could be less emphasis, for example, on, on, on Instagram, on social approval. The, the algorithm could work in such a way to show you a much greater variety of images and only show you a, if you search for something like diet tips, maybe give you a bit of that, but then but then break it up or cut you off or whatever the case may be. You know, there there is there is room here, I believe, to make better, more responsible and user friendly products. But, but you know, what you're talking about there. Mary would strike me that mm. we, we'd be asking these people to design their products in such a way that would mean growth, potential growth on the basis of human nature and negative human emotions. The potential growth will be restricted because they, they opt to be what you might say more responsible instead. Even if you have that, you're also going to get some of them that are going to take the easy way out of it. Yes, there's no, there's, you're absolutely right. There's no easy solution to any of this. And, you know, we, we, we've been confronted with these dilemmas, um, you know, repeatedly as the media has developed and new forms of technology have developed. There is no utopia. There's nothing that is risk free, but we can do an awful lot better than we are doing now. And I think, yes, you know, um, obviously companies, companies need profits to exist and, and employ people and all of these things. But we're talking about companies that make staggering profits and even a small drop in their, their profits would still result in absolutely staggering profits, you know? So I think, I think it's a question of innovation. It's a question of responsibility. And it's also a question of, you know, we cut, we, all the, so much has changed in the last 10 years. You know, we're just beginning now to catch up 
with and ask questions about the role of these technologies in our lives. This was going to happen eventually. There was always going to be a reckoning. And now it's just beginning to kick off. So we'll see what happens from here. But I do believe there will be change. Are you hopeful about that? <sighs> well, if you didn't hope... You'd, yeah. probably, you'd probably just throw your hand. I mean, I am, I am hopeful. I am hopeful because I, I mean, look at, look at smoking, right? Yeah. Look at other, other, you know, things, things can change. And I think, I think when we begin to see it as an issue of health and well-being, um, and ask serious questions about, you know, are these really adding something of value? And, or, you know, if, if there is something of value there, and yeah, there is, can we have that? And then look at seriously reducing the downsides or mitigating the downsides. I don't think that is unreasonable. Yeah. And I think that there is a way to balance that with obviously the need of companies to make profit. One final thing. Um, are they also under pressure from the point of view of new technologies? Because, for instance, the likes of TikTok, which I think is Chinese in origin. Mm. I um, yeah. know that my own young fellow see some on it. <laughs> but are they in danger of losing market share to the likes of them and then again <laughs> do they view that as a further pressure coming from a different angle in terms of squeezing what they'd regard as, as their uh, their potential for growth oh 100% the internet has its own graveyard for um, social media sites that went to foot I mean remember Bebo remember yeah, Vine yeah. even Snapchat you know was huge and then has kind of have kind of fallen away Facebook are always looking over their shoulder. They have to be. It's the name of the game. Something else comes along. They bought Instagram because they were looking over their shoulder. And that turned out to be a great call. Who knows where they would have been, who would, where they would be now if they hadn't. And um, because young people are leaving the site. So yes, so they're all, there's always going to be a new pretender. That's the nature of the business. The question, the one thing with Facebook though, is that Facebook has shown tremendous staying power, um, in a field where, you know, a lot of platforms shine brightly for a couple of years and then go the way of the dodo. So it's, you know, it's in their interest to always be looking over their shoulder and looking at TikTok and being like, well, what elements of that can we build into what our platforms offer? You know, if, if they can't buy them, then what can they use? If you can't buy them, break them. Um, uh, yeah. Mary, thank you very much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Mary McGill and Mary's book, The Visibility Trap, Sexism, Surveillance and Social Media is published by New Island Books. And I have to say, well worth the read if you want to get a handle on what is becoming an increasingly central aspect of life today. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. And for all the best journalism, subscribe today to the Irish Examiner online. You won't regret it. Stay by the wall. Informative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.